I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Mask mandates have been lifted in several provinces. That includes hospitals in some cases, though in Ontario, where I practice, hospitals and long-term care homes are still insisting on masks. Omicron and subvariants have not disappeared. So this week we're asking, what should I do when the mask mandates are lifted? Hi, Ray Watt. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi, thanks for having me back. So how hard is it to do this topic without getting political? (laughs) Uh, Pretty much anything related to COVID is impossible to do without getting a little bit political. Are you still wearing masks? I am indeed. Every time I am in a public indoor setting, I'm definitely wearing a mask, as is my spouse. Okay, so you're the the right person to to come to for advice. But before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it, just ad-lib. Hi, my name is Raywat Dionandan. I'm an epidemiologist and associate professor with the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Here we go. What do you advise people about wearing masks at this point? Look, mask wearing is the single most effective, low effort intervention we have when it comes to managing uh, a pandemic of a respiratory virus like this. Of course, we should all be wearing masks whenever we can if we're in a public indoor setting. To me, it's a bit of a no-brainer. We have high transmission rates still around us. We have vulnerable people still walking among us. We have people who can't be vaccinated. I count among those my child who's under five for whom the vaccine option is not yet available. So for their best interests, we need to do everything we can to prevent this disease from penetrating into their demographic. That means the rest of us must wear masks if we can. And when you say masks, there are masks and there are masks. So what masks are we talking about? Every mask does something. Some kind of facial covering is better than no kind of facial covering. But a respirator mask is the best kind that we have available as a member of the general public. And a respirator is an N95, a KN95, something of that quality. They tend to be more form-fitting to your face, unlike those baggy blue surgical or medical masks, as some people call them, that have the spaces at the sides of your mouths. It's not that those other masks don't do something. They do. It's just that COVID has a very strong airborne aerosolized component and an N95 or KN95 does a much better job in preventing transmission of that kind of virus. Summer is just around the corner. Does that change your advice at all? It doesn't. What it does do is reduce the risk overall and give us a little more confidence if you forget to wear a mask that day or slow in putting it on or have a lower quality mask. But the disease is still around us. And so long as, again, certain demographics don't have access to a vaccine, so long as we have taxed healthcare systems, so long as we have death and disability amongst certain demographics, again, I think it's the responsible community-minded thing to do to continue to wear a mask when you can. Now, obviously, not everyone is going to follow this advice. So we're at the point in this pandemic now where much of the responsibility for managing the disease has been downloaded onto the individual. 
And just because you see other people not complying with this kind of guidance doesn't mean you can't take steps to protect your loved ones and other members of your community. So uh, I advise people to wear a mask and to be kind to each other and generous in our judgment of others. So why are mask mandates being lifted in some provinces? It's a very good question. I think a lot of it is political to start that horrible conversation. I think people are just fed up with the pandemic. I totally get that. And we'd rather pretend that it's over rather than to take the steps to make sure that it's over. Masking is laden with political baggage. For some reason, it's fallen along the political spectrum. One side seems to adhere to it more so than the other side. Uh, we have these slogans having to do with wearing a face diaper, having to do with uh, oppression of people's rights and so forth, which I think is ridiculous. The mask mandates were done away, I think, to pretend that the crisis is over. And the crisis has been largely alleviated. We have wonderful trending lines. We have wastewater signals and test positivity rates all trending in the right direction. But it isn't over yet. And I think we do ourselves a disservice by taking away this extremely high-impact, low-cost intervention before we thoroughly explore its potential to lower transmission rates more. There's wearing masks and there's mask mandates, and they're obviously two different things, given how political you know, the, the issue of wearing masks has become. Can you give me a non-COVID example of where and how mandating a public health policy actually does good? Oh, there's so many examples of this. The seatbelt mandate, obviously, before people were compelled to wear seatbelts, the uh, compliance with seatbelt recommendations was quite poor. It wasn't until they were made mandatory that people started wearing them, and, and the death rate associated with motor vehicle accidents diminished substantially. We have the rules around smoking. So it's not illegal to smoke, but it's now illegal in many places to smoke in indoor settings like restaurants and bars and hospitals. And that has really convinced people to cut down on their smoking. So it has an enormous impact on public health good. Uh, speed rates. <laughs> you can't drive your car as fast as you want. So we have a mandate that prevents people from going above a certain speed limit. Your car can go 160 kilometers per hour, probably. Doesn't mean you can't. You should be doing it, and so the police prevent you from doing so. And as a result, we have much less death and uh, destruction on our highways. The, the examples are endless. Okay, back to wearing masks. Where are you most concerned about people not wearing masks, and why? Places where the vulnerable gather. That means hospitals, long-term care centers. And to some extent, uh, places with small children like uh, daycares, although I'm flexible there because I understand there's some issues regarding compliance. But hospitals for sure, especially children's hospitals, this is where if you are immunocompromised, if you can't be vaccinated, if you have a vulnerability of some kind, that's where you're going to go. You have no choice but to go there to have your condition dealt with. And so that is where we have to take every precaution possible to prevent moving infection into those populations and moving them out of those populations into the community. And I think we could add to that not only vulnerable people, uh, people who are essential uh, workers in our system where if they get COVID or are in direct contact with somebody in a household contact who has COVID, they're going to be taken out of the, the employee pool and uh, putting an extra strain on, on all the other workers. That's a really good point. Uh, people often tell me, hey, the, there's space in the hospitals now, to some extent. In some cases, that is true. In some cases, it isn't. But the unspoken confounder in this is that the healthcare workers are stressed. 
and there are fewer of them because many of them have either quit or they're sick all the time because of COVID. So to account for and to minimize the impact of that absenteeism, we need to slow transmission in that population as much as we can. So uh, don't get your healthcare workers sick. If you do, they can't be there tomorrow to take care of other sick people. Uh, I've had quite a healthy uh, Twitter exchange in the last little while. Some followers got very upset with me when I suggested on Twitter that people do their own individual risk assessment when it comes to deciding whether or not to wear masks. Are they right? I think we're at the point where that is required of us. So whether or not people should be doing so, that is what they probably will be doing because there is no other choice here. The government has taken away the requirement for masking, therefore you should uh, weigh the, uh, the factors yourself. The problem is we haven't given people the right tools to do that calculus. People don't know what the transmission rates are in their community. They don't know what the space uh, looks like in their, in their hospital system. They don't know what the risk profile is for their demographic. They don't know how many people in their community have been vaccinated, for example. And we're not pushing that third and fourth dose yet, which I think we probably should to make sure that we have as much protection for the population and as much diminished transmission as a result of immunity from the population. So I'm sympathetic to both sides here. I understand that people probably should not be compelled to do that calculus themselves, but that's where we are. And therefore, we have to give them the tools to do that math and to make that determination. You know, given the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing less data than we did even before, and even that wasn't adequate, how should people be calculating their own risk? Well, because it's fairly impossible to determine what the threat condition is external to your community and your family, you have to focus on what your vulnerability situation is. If you have someone in your family or in your circles who needs protecting, that could be a senior, that could be a child under five, that could be someone who's immunocompromised and with a long history of respiratory distress or diseases, then you should consider taking additional steps to prevent importing infection into your circle. That means wearing a high quality mask whenever you can in a public indoor setting. If you haven't got those situations, then you can be a bit more flippant and flagrant with how you navigate risk in your community. If you're a young person with no vulnerabilities and no one in your, in your life to protect, I understand that you're probably going to bars more and not wearing a mask. I don't judge you for that. But there's something to be said, though, for the larger community mentality here. Even if you haven't got a loved one in your immediate circles who is vulnerable, consider that every time that you take a risk of acquiring infection, somewhere down that chain of infection, you may be deleteriously affecting someone who is vulnerable simply by having contact with a stranger who then has a contact with somebody else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We all have a role to play in this. And I'm hoping people are more community-minded than they have been prior in this pandemic. Um, that's where we are. Uh, assess the vulnerabilities in your circles. And that would include, of course, being a healthcare worker. We would expect healthcare workers not to be cavalier because if they get it, uh, that means that they can't work and that means that puts extra strain on their colleagues. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. That's something that really is not discussed enough in various circles. It seems to be something that only healthcare workers talk about. Um, that's a shame because once the pillar of medicine falls, everything else falls like dominoes. So our society depends fiercely upon the full functionality of our healthcare system. But that would also include other essential workers. That would include law enforcement. That would include, you know, first responders. It would include people who work in customs at the airports right now because we know there aren't enough of them. 
It really does. Healthcare workers are particularly vulnerable because that is where sick people go. So they're going to be exposed to, to a higher level of risk, I think. But absolutely true. Um, essential workers include all those people, as you mentioned, especially if they're going to be in regular contact with people who don't have a choice but to be in contact with them. So uh, the police are a good example of this. Um, you need the police when you need the police. So I'm hoping that they maintain a mass mandate and a vaccine mandate to minimize the probability of moving infection from one group to another. Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. Let's get a bit more granular about one particular point. How do you think dropping from daily reporting of COVID cases to weekly reporting of COVID cases could be affecting mask rates? Ooh, that's a tough one. Because we do not know what the daily risk status is in our individual communities, then we cannot do that calculus. Therefore, I think it is within um, human psychology to err on the side of, of being less conservative. People are going to err on the side of choosing to drop the mask mandate. So uh, I don't want to say this is politicized. It probably is, but what do I know? But I don't think sharing less information is in the public good. You don't make evidence-based decisions with less information. Okay. There has been some interesting data from the United States. What do we know about how well mask mandates have worked there? We know it's worked really well there, despite what some people say. So there's an ecological study. An ecological study is when the unit of analysis is a population and not an individual. Uh, That showed that masking policies were associated with a 16% reduction in COVID cases over about six weeks. We've seen a significant increase in COVID cases about 45 days after the lifting of mask mandates. This was in 2021. So there's a lot of evidence that the masking mandates, not just masking, but the mandates themselves result in measurable decrease in transmission and a measurable decrease in hospitalizations and death. To me, the evidence is uncontrovertible. So all things being equal, the fact that mask mandates are being lifted in many parts of Canada now as we speak or in the past week, uh, we can, if you can you know, use the expression, look forward to or, or look with some trepidation to an increased number of cases of Omicron and subvariants um, about a little over a month from now. Yeah, I think that's a fair thing to say. Uh, now, the question is, will the other factors like the decreased transmission we garner from the summer months coming and from increasing vaccination rates, will that account and um, help uh, buffer the impact of less mask wearing? I don't know. But less masking means more transmission and probably someone's going to be hospitalized and possibly die who otherwise would not have. I'm going to ask you about uh, some of the riskiest indoor public places. Uh, I'll let you know that somebody tweeted to me that they attended the graduation of of one of their uh, children and said that there were an estimated 1,500 people uh, in that indoor facility, uh, the vast majority of them maskless. Would we call that a high-risk setting? It depends on the size of the facility and the ventilation quality. Uh, there's a hierarchy of strategies. Number one is you get the disease out of your community. If it's not there, it can't infect you. Number two is you ventilate these facilities well with high quality engineering interventions. Number three, you've got things like physical distancing and masking and, and vaccination. So all things being equal, I would say that 
that is a, a high risk activity if you're sitting there for a long period of time, like hours. Okay. You know, you've, you've already alluded to the fact that it depends on several factors, but what are some of the indoor public places that you would consider the most risky? Uh, bars, restaurants, because there's a lot of people indoors. People are actively spewing aerosols into the air by speaking and singing and shouting. Um, and they're there for an extended period of time. This is all about duration. That's a, a part of this that never gets talked about much. If you can walk in and out of a, a a room relatively quickly, and the probability of receiving an infectious dose if one is there would be small. But if you're sitting there for hours on end, the probability increases substantially. So yeah, bars and restaurants, I would say be high risk. We had a listener comment specifically about exercising indoors. Uh, can you get away with that with no mask if the ventilation is good? Can you get away with it? <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I think you can reduce your risk if the ventilation is good and if fewer people are there. If you're there first thing in the morning, but you're better off wearing a mask. It's an interesting public health balancing act, the gyms, uh, exercise places, because on the one hand, you want to encourage people to be fit and to be strong and to be resilient. On the other hand, that is a place that is known to be a hotbed of transmission. Um, so you, you reduce the risk of the transmission by investing in the ventilation and by wearing a mask. Look, the women's Olympic hockey team won gold medal while wearing N95 masks. If they can do it, we can certainly run on the treadmill for a bit. Oh, they're special. I was mighty impressed watching them do that. That, that. that was really, you know, they deserve a gold medal just for doing that. Now, let's talk about some particular uh, indoor settings. What about uh, what to consider when traveling by air? So planes are actually very good ventilation-wise. They mix in the exterior air to a high extent, and so you're getting fresh air all the time, moving in one direction. It's the sitting on the tarmac for long periods of time. It's getting in and out of the plane uh, in parts of the airport that aren't ventilated. That's where much of the risk is. Taking off your mask while eating, eh, maybe not the best idea, but you can probably get away with it for short periods of time. The duration of the flight matters. If it's a short duration flight, under, under two hours or so, it's probably okay. Um, but I would wear a mask if asked. And in the airport, I would definitely wear a mask while getting on and off the plane and while waiting for the plane to be aloft into the air, at which point it's mixing better with the outside air, I'd wear a mask until that point as well. What about public transit? Depends on which public transit we're talking about and, again, how many people are in there. In general, public transit tends to have okay ventilation. If you're in a bus, stand by the door, get the fresh air, open the window, subway, there's large volumes of air moving in and out all the time. So I think the risk is moderate to low. Uh, we don't have good data on transmission happening in transit vehicles. We have data on transmission being, on, on infection being moved from one city to another via uh, transit, not necessarily happening within the transit vehicle itself. I would still wear a mask there because you cannot control the duration and the um, crowdedness of the situation. Some people may feel a mask is more stifling in hot weather. Any tips for that? You don't need to wear a mask outside, in my opinion. It does reduce risk further, but I think the juice is not worth the squeeze. But I am sympathetic to the heat and uh, masking situation. I don't really know what to offer there except to say we have to put up with some discomfort. Last question I'm going to ask you. When could you see yourself comfortably not wearing a mask? I look at a number of indicators. Number one, the transmission rates where I live. Number two, the vaccination rates where I live. Number three, how much space is there in the hospitals where I live. And the last is, does my child have a vaccination solution? He is under five, therefore no vaccine is available to him yet. 
when he is eventually vaccinated, I will I will give this some more serious thought. But I think the big one is the the transmission rates in the community and how much space in the, in the hospital there is. And I anticipate a few months from now, uh, things should look better. But we can't make predictions like that because uh, new variants are always around the corner. But I feel we're going to win this war sooner rather than later due to improvements in vaccine biotechnology and due to more focus on ventilation and due to our ability to vaccinate more people and more age groups. Sounds like an optimistic note to end on, and I'm not going to ask you anything that will get you in a more pessimistic vein. Ray Watt, Dean Anden, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, explaining all of that and making it easy to understand. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Raywat Dianandan is an associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences and an epidemiologist at the University of Ottawa. Here's your dose of smart advice. The trends are heading in the right direction, but Omicron and its subvariants are still out there and capable of infecting us. The lifting of mask mandates does not mean the threat of COVID-19 has ended. And it doesn't mean you should stop taking precautions. What it does mean is that you have to put more thought into protecting yourself and those around you. Since public health units are reporting less data on COVID cases, it means you need to err on the side of caution by assuming you're at risk of contracting the virus. You should continue to wear masks if you or someone you live with is vulnerable to COVID. You should also wear a mask if you're a healthcare worker, first responder, or other essential worker whose absence would put a strain on your colleagues. These precautions are especially important if you spend time at indoor bars, restaurants, public transit, and exercise gyms. The other thing you need to do to mitigate your risk is to get at least three doses of a COVID vaccine. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts, or at CBC White Coat, hashtag TheDoseCBC. Our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose on the CBC Listen app and wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people know about us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Amina Zoffer. Technical support was by Austin Pomeroy. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. For medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.